Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Now Appalachia, distributed all across the country and all throughout the world on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us as we continue profiling uh, the authors with the connections to Appalachia, and we examine how the work is influenced by those Appalachian roots, whether through birth, whether through work, whether through relocation or whatever it might be. And I'm so happy to, once again, on this episode of our program, bring back an author who was with us a couple of years ago with her fantastic thriller. It was called Real Bad Things. Well, she is back with a brand new thriller uh, that is just absolutely suspenseful, subtly layered, and it is going to be one that will grab you from the very first page and not let you go. The title of the book is The Hunt, and our guest is returning author Kelly Ford, who was with us about a year and a half ago, and she's back again with this brand new book. She is the author, as we mentioned, of Real Bad Things and also the award-winning novel Cottonmouths which um, was a novel that the Los Angeles Review said featured impressive depths of character and setting, and also named that book one of its best books of 2017. She is an Arkansas native, and she writes crime fiction set in the Ozarks, as well as the Arkansas River Valley. And it is my pleasure to welcome her back to the program uh, to talk to us about this brand new thriller that is just terrific, The Hunt. So Kelly, welcome back to the show. Good to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me back. I had so much fun last time, so I definitely said yes uh, to being on again, for sure. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Great to have you back on. And and this book is just terrific, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. But I wanted to ask you, we talked a moment ago in the intro about, about Cottonmouths and about Real Bad mm-hmm. Things, and this being kind of your, your third thriller novel now in a row. Um, as a writer, as a storyteller, what was different for you this time writing this story as opposed to the first two books, the first two thrillers that you uh, recently produced? What changed for you? How has your process changed? Um, how do you feel like you grew maybe as a writer and a storyteller mm-hmm. through the process of this new book? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you, of course, for your kind words for the books. I, I truly appreciate that. Um So, yeah, I I think with The Hunt, the difference is I was able to expand my story world a little bit more than I have in my previous books. And, of course, it's still set in Arkansas, but with Cottonmouth and Real Bad Things, it's almost like each time I'm expanding the point of view. So Cottonmouth was, you know, first person point of view, very kind of claustrophobic uh, pressure cooker atmosphere for my protagonist, which really fit the narrative I wanted to tell. Sorry, you'll hear my dog in the background and probably see him. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, and then with Real Bad Things, it, it still had kind of that claustrophobia going on in terms of two points of view, but really close, close third. And so with The Hunt, I did something a little bit different and I always wanted to kind of add in this Greek chorus to my books. And so, and I think I mentioned this on something else, but I remember reading, like I've, I've seen it before, but the first time it really stuck with me in terms of a writer was I read Serena by Ron Rash. And 
you know how he has the the different points of view, the chapters from the point of view of it's kind of like the what is it the royal what do we call it the royal we the royal day but a Greek chorus of all the the um, the timber workers. So they're not the protagonist in the book, but it it allows the author to kind of pan out from what's going on in the heads of the characters to get the perspective from the outside view. And so I really wanted to do something like that. And so The Hunt was really a place where I could explore doing that because it's a serial killer narrative. I would say a non-traditional serial killer narrative because it's not as much of a who done it as a you know what happened and why and um so that was really fascinating to me but i also wanted to get the perspectives of the different townsfolk because the hunt is it's based on a a radio station hunt for my hometown <laughs> fort smith arkansas the Kiss of 93.7 used to run like the hunt for the golden egg or the hunt for the golden keys, all these things. Oh my God. Tangent, I was um, on Twitter. I was, I was chatting with some folks who actually grew up in Fort Smith and remembered it. And someone's friend found the keys. So it was really this fun, small town moment. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to really capture in story that kind of that thrill of the chase. Um, but in a way I also, wanted to be able to tell the stories of the people who were lost to a supposed serial killer. And so I have these interludes where I'm able to share um, what happened to the victims, but also give a sense of what the townsfolk are thinking and what's going on while this hunt is going on as it counts down to Easter. And um, with that ticking clock of someone always dies, around Easter so who will it be this time so for me I think as a writer I feel like I've grown more comfortable in taking on more expansive story worlds again even though I'm still set in a small town I'm able to to show a little bit more and I, I feel a little bit more comfortable I think in general but I think probably that's just getting older and <laughs> just having having published a few novels now, you know, it, it feels easier. Maybe some people say it's not easier, but I'm like, no, it's definitely easier. <laughs> yeah. Almost like it's easier to find your groove after you've, yeah. after you've done several novels, you know where your groove is and you know when you're in, kind of in it or in the midst of it. Yeah. And I think to you, you know when to abandon something. You're, I think that you bounce, well, me personally, I bounce back from rejection or just dis my own disappointment in not being able to tell the story I want. You know, it's just like having a bad day. It's easier to just bounce back now and just say, you know what, I can fix it. It's fine. Uh, I'll hit it tomorrow. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, you, you kind of alluded to this a moment ago. Uh, the kind of the main plot point of your story is, uh, a, is a serial killer kind of tormenting the residents of this town in Presley, Arkansas. You talked about the radio station in your story. It's 2005 at this annual Easter egg hunt. And there's a character named uh, Garrett Holcomb. who's 19 years mm -hmm. old. 
and he goes missing. Then he's found dead uh, after apparently accidentally drowning. And one of the things I love as, as we pick up from that plot point is the town of Presley kind of gets divided into two camps. One of the camps mm-hmm. feel like uh, that that this is just um, a coincidence, that it just seems to happen all the time uh, during Easter when it comes to, to this Easter egg gathering and the hunt and all of that. And then the other folks in the other camp are convinced that uh, there is a serial killer called the hunter who is responsible. So what what tends to separate those people? Why, why do we have the town sort of divided here? And and who who's making the determination to be in one camp uh, in the coincidence camp, as opposed to the, oh, no, we have a serial killer on the loose camp? I think it just comes down to what thrills people in town. You know, the, the main characters are, you know, the protagonist, for the most part, is is Nell Holcomb, who is the sister of Garrett, the alleged first victim. So she definitely has a very different point of view. And, you know, the, the hunt's been going on for, oh my gosh, what is it, like 16, 17 years. So naturally, there are people involved and families and friends who are left behind wondering. So I think there's this natural division um, that we have, you know, just in society today, in terms of like, you know, you believe something or you don't, it's a conspiracy theory or it's not. And just natural divisions that happen within small towns over the smallest of topics. But this one being, you know, perhaps there's a murderer. And I think, you know, what, what comes into play with something like this is it's not just a radio station it's it's a whole town identity in terms of the hunt and being able to bring bring in um business to downtown so it's it's like a chamber of commerce thing where you know you you want money and i think economics has a lot to do with it in terms of the hunt brings in a lot of money to town and the hunt gives a lot of money away to people who are involved in a hunt. It's a scavenger hunt uh, with big prizes. And um, I think anytime you, you know, been down on your luck or, you know, pinching pennies, any amount of money is like, I could definitely use that. But when you're talking about a $50,000 prize, that's a lot of money. And and it's only this big because they skipped a year. So, so it's, it's big money. I mean, it would be big money to me. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to? So, uh, yeah. So, so I think it was just a natural division. I think. And you know, I, I love the characters because just like with your characters uh, in your other two books, uh, they're so multi-layered and so rich and so round in so many ways. And I love how when we we meet Nell, uh, we find out that she's that she's openly gay. She's raising her mm-hmm. nephew named Elijah, uh, who is also gay. Uh, in mm-hmm. this town where we get a sense that, you know, acceptance uh, and maybe being safe sort of, quote unquote, socially is uh, something that uh, walks a fine line uh, in many mm-hmm. ways. And I, I want to ask you, I'll ask you about that in just a second. But, you know, one of my favorite characters that I really think kind of cements a lot of the relationships that Nell has in her life was Ada, who is mm-hmm. a woman of color, 
she's sort of um, uh, sort of Nell's confidant, and uh, she works at this dingy kind of really crappy plastics plant uh, there <laughs> in the town, or bottle manufacturing plant there in the town. Mm-hmm. But she and Nell have such a great relationship. Can, can you talk about that and and why Nell tends to confide in Ada and? what Ada offers Nell when she does come to her and kind of talk about things that are on her mind and that are troubling her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And writing Ada was so much fun and she's just a hoot to me because she, she's definitely someone who loves the hunt. She's after the money. She's been a lifelong hunter. Um, It's something that kind of takes her out of her life and her world. You know, she's a single mother raising her son and it's, it's just a fun activity she enjoys. And so um, the plastics factory is actually based on the plastics factory I worked at in college. So I, I, I worked in factory uh, full time and went to college full time. And, and um, you know, I've been working since I was like 16. And I think work relationships are so amazing. Like so many of my closest friends have come out of work environments and, um, you know, I'm working class. I'm still working. I'm just in a different, you know, I'm not working in plastics anymore. I'm working in, you know, technology, but I think there's something really there, there are trauma bonds. There are just, you know, there are people you see every single day. You spend so much of your time with these people and it's hard not to feel like, like I hate it when companies say, Oh, we're a family. (laughs) Right, because I'm like, run! <laughs> They're hiding something. <laughs> They're toxic. But um, but you, in every single job I've ever had, I I've formed these really close bonds with people because it's just a natural offshoot of being so close with, you know, close quarters in many cases with people, and so it felt very, very. I keep saying natural. I was trying to think of something besides natural, but it did feel natural to to have them be very close in terms of their friendship because that's kind of how it works. And I just remember, you know, my friends I had at the factory and, you know, you you just bond with them. So, and I always, always wanted to be able to, to kind of show that work environment in a book because it it's always been such a huge part of my life. And, um, so yeah, and and it's fun because they can, you know, they flirt, they they get along really well. It's you know, there's often that, you know, will they won't they kind of thing that, you know, people love. <laughs> my editor and my agents were all like, We need a little bit more of that, will they or won't they? I was like, All right. <laughs> so so yeah, it was just really fun and and I think she Ada presents a nice juxtaposition to Nell because of course Nell Nell is anti-hunt obviously her brother allegedly died even though she's not so sure that that's what really happened but it creates this tension between them in terms of people are hiding secrets they're even hiding secrets from each other in terms of oh i'm not gonna go out hunting but i will (laughs) you just won't know about it so so that was that was fun to write the two of them together, kind of keeping secrets from each other as well. We talked about that theme of of Nell and Elijah's sexuality a moment ago. Do you feel like as a writer, even today in 2023, that it is difficult to write about uh, queer life in small towns 
uh, and have it portrayed in such a way that you feel like is true to the experiences? Is it still difficult to, to do that? And is it still difficult in some ways to find an audience uh, to notice that or to pay attention to it or to care about it? I think the former, not hard at all. It, to me, I mean, I've been out for so many years. It's just my whole, it feels like my whole existence is just queer and it's just a natural Again, I keep going with natural. I'm sorry, you'll have to edit me out. But um, yeah, so so it's not hard writing about queer folks because I am a queer person, and I, you know, I see, I have, you know, these friendships um, throughout, you know, the country, really. And this is just my life, so I just write what I'm used to. But I think the second part of that is the harder piece of getting people. I think because to me, it's just it's just life. It's almost shocking to me when I'll be speaking with an interviewer and they'll ask me, oh, did you mean to make this a queer book? Or did you, why is it that people are questioning their sexuality or this character was straight but now they're gay and all these questions and to me that's the shocking part because I'm I kind of forget sometimes that I live in a world that isn't used to that I guess so I think that's the small town part that kind of it it shocks my system a little bit because I'm like well what do you mean don't you have any gay friends? What's wrong with you? And of course, you know, being queer, queer is a spectrum. And I believe that. And of course, people change, you know, 20 years ago, people were totally different. And it's it's kind of a matter of, you know, society catching up with us or, you know, other people catching up in exposure. And so, yeah, so I, I think that's the hardest part is just kind of not asking readers, straight readers to come along with you, but in a way a little bit, but it's not that hard. You know, queer people have been doing it and still do it all the time. Like I can feel deep feelings about straight characters in books. Um, So hopefully straight folks will have the same reaction. I hope, but I mean, it's not as easy. You do have to, you know, you just have some barriers that are always going to be there until yeah we get further along <laughs> right yes until time moves on and and mm-hmm. and, and, and younger generations mm-hmm. come up and and, and it becomes, yes becomes more just a, a normal part of society just like how many people have blue eyes you know it just it's kind of a, right the thing that is you know you know it doesn't right this asterisk by someone's name or character for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, we're speaking with author Kelly Ford here on the program. She is the author of the brand new thriller, The Hunt. And we're going to come back to the book uh, in just a second. But I want to ask you, Kelly, um, I know uh, as, as a writer that you're also a, a big reader. So what might be on Kelly Ford's nightstand in terms of books that she's reading or books she's thinking about reading or maybe something that she's read recently that just really caught your attention and you thought, oh my gosh, this is really great. Everybody should be reading this. What What's on your nightstand in terms of uh, books that you're reading or getting ready to read or have already read? So I just finished uh, What Never Happened by Rachel Housel Hall. And I believe that came out in July. Um 
I, again, I had mentioned to you previously, I, I go into books without knowing anything about it. And I was so excited when I got into the book a little bit. It's set on Catalina Island. And I just remember as a kid visiting California, it was kind of like this island where it's like, sometimes you can see it. And I just thought what a fascinating, and I think Rachel did such a, it's a great book. I finished it. I love it. But what this great idea, like a mystery set in a place that sometimes appears and sometimes doesn't <laughs> and like, how wild is that? But um, it's a great book. And um, I highly recommend that. And I'm currently reading a book that is not out yet. Let me see. It comes out next year, but I, I'm reading it for um, another author uh, associated with uh, my agency. And that is What Grows in the Dark by Jack Evans. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm just a little bit into it. And so far I'm loving it. It's, it's, it's set in the South and it's definitely horror. So it's, it's, I'm just reading this because I, I like this. It sounds better than anything I could write, but a contemporary horror from debut author, Jack Evans, perfect for fans of Paul Tremblay and pitched as the Babadook meets the Blair Witch Project. And now that I reread that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly why I said, yes, please send it to me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds terrific. And that'll be a good a book that we will certainly uh, keep on our to be read list here on the program as well for a, uh, a 2024 release. And so I wanted to ask you uh, what now we've talked this, about uh, the hunt being your, your third thriller here in a row. What is the hardest part, do you think, about writing a thriller from your perspective? Is it the plotting? Is it the the red herrings? Because I think you do such a great job of leaving little breadcrumbs, not just in the hunt, but in all of your mysteries and thrillers uh, for us to follow these little subtle clues that we need to pay attention to. Is, is that the hardest part? What, what's the hardest part about writing thrillers? <sighs> I... It's definitely the plotting. <laughs> I love the character pieces so much and I could get lost in the psychological aspects of stories. Um, so for me, it's kind of like, oh, wait, no, I actually have to make sure things are, are plotting together. And so it is fun putting together the puzzle pieces, but I think I think the part that's the hardest with the writing is the expectation from hardcore thriller writers. Cause I don't write hardcore thriller. I don't think <laughs> I feel like I write Southern Gothic crime. Um, so, so sometimes I, I kind of let that get in my head in terms of, and of course it's all marketing. Right. But I kind of let it get into my head of like, Oh, should I be a little bit more intense here? Or should I be, should I, you know, dial back some of the character and the psychology stuff, but that wouldn't be my book. And that, that wouldn't be inter that wouldn't be interesting for me to write. And while I love to read it, it's, it's just not something that I'm excited about when I sit down to write. So I kind of love doing deep dives of character and then um, kind of adding the crime in, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think just getting out of my head is the hardest part, honestly, and just writing, you know, the, the story I want to write. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent advice. And Kelly Ford is our guest here on Now Appalachia. She's the author of the brand new thriller, The Hunt. And we're going to come back to the book uh, here for the next few minutes and talk about it. Uh, I, I had, I, I want to ask you a theme question in just a minute, but mm -hmm. th there was one really cool, uh, 
sort of subplot point that I wanted to ask you about, and that is this Google Doc that pops up uh, in the story. And I I highlighted it several times when I was looking at the book and uh, reading it again. And I thought, I have to ask her about this Google Doc. And I love it because and we talked about the town of Presley being divided between those who think all of these mm-hmm. these murders that are occurring are just coincidences and they just happen to occur around Easter time. And then the other half of the town thinks, well, no, that we've got a serial killer on the loose. We've got this mm-hmm. Google Doc and we have these amateur sort of detectives who are in here interacting and commenting and mm-hmm. they're trying to see if they can come up with uh, who the hunter might be or their theories on the hunter. Talk a little, a little bit about working that into the story because I just love that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just such a, an interesting um, uh, sort of subplot, but also a great way to kind of put in and infuse current technology and current things that we all can identify mm-hmm. in terms of Google Docs. Talk about putting that in the story and, and, and why you decided to do that. I mean, I live in Google Docs for my day job. <laughs> so that's part of it that anytime we're trying to collaborate on project plans or, you know, installation plans, it's like, it's got to be in the Google Doc. And then that way you can track things and, and collaborate. And I think with the hunt too, the hunt is set post, uh, post lockdown. Uh, we should, shall we say, <laughs> so not post-pandemic, since it's still kind of lingering, but um, but it felt natural for for lockdown too for this type of document to be to exist because so many of us were working from home and stuck at home, and I remember you know just hearing about my my friends too, their their kids going to high school and having to collaborate online, and I just thought it was the right way to present this versus, you know, newspaper articles, which I had actually thought about doing something like that, obituaries or some, some way to present it, but I just thought it would be kind of fun. And I think that's a, my writer thing too, just, I want to, I want to have fun writing it. So I kind of lean towards whatever, um, and this is kind of wacky in a way and, and seems like fun and maybe nobody else is doing it, but mainly it's just, I live in Google Docs. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, love I those thought moments. that'll work. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, I love those moments. I, and I just loved like what was going on in the Google Docs and the theories and, oh, I think yeah. it's this person, I think it's that person. Because that is for folks who've used a Google Doc, like you're saying, exactly how it works. It's just kind of... Uh, almost like a, uh, a graffiti board of people just dumping mm-hmm. ideas and thoughts and uh, whatever they've got on their mind into this document and everybody can read it and comment on it and see who posted what, when, and all of that. And I, I just loved that element uh, of the story. I, I really mm-hmm. thought that uh, Thanks. Added, added kind of like a, a, a town perspective, you know, what mm-hmm. they feel like. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. Kind of, as mentioned, that Greek chorus kind of view of let's pull out from the main characters and just see what's going on in the town at large. I wanted to ask you a a thematic question as it ties to this book, but I also think it ties to real bad things and and cottonmouths as well. And that is you have characters in this story. We've talked about Ada. We've talked about Nell. We've talked about Elijah uh, that are, that are very close. um, And certainly uh, Nell was close to Garrett, and when we find that out as the story unfolds, we won't give too much away about uh, how much she knows about him and what mm-hmm. maybe happened to him. 
but they're obviously very close. And I feel like your characters in real bad things, despite what happened to them uh, physically and, and emotionally and psychologically were close and the same with your characters in Cottonmouths. But uh, there also seems to be this kind of undercurrent of uh, communication between these close characters, that, that they are close. On the one level, they, they trust each other and, and they listen to one another and they're there for one another. But at the same time, um, they don't always tell kind of the, the, the whys and the motivations for what they're doing uh, with their decision making or, or not telling everybody everything that they would want to know if it's being inquired about. That seems to be a theme that kind of uh, runs through uh, this book, but also your other books in that, uh, that the what's not said is almost as important as what is said, mm. these close characters. And I wondered if, is that a theme that um, you feel like drives a lot of the plots uh, of your stories especially the plot of the hunt or is this just something that as you're mentioning you, you really like spending time with these characters and doing these really intricate character arcs is this just something that kind of ends up happening and, and maybe ends up happening with close characters in general and that you know we tell sometimes we tell people everything but it's the, the things we don't tell them that are also meaningful can you talk mm -hmm. about that theme and how that works in the hunt but your other books as well and that the that the unsaid is almost as important as what they do say to each other yeah, I think a lot of it is just an offshoot of growing up in a family and around people where it's kind of like you're a little bit tentative. And I wonder sometimes if that's, you know, a little bit of a queer perspective that kind of creeps into into my narratives in terms of, you know, you don't tell it all. You have to kind of figure out who you can trust first. And even if you trust people it's it's fascinating to me with friendships you know even adult friendships how we don't always share what we're feeling and it seems that people are, are always a little bit close and so i think i i tend toward people who in my life the closest i'm with are the ones who um are often very closed off at first and kind of have their armor up and a lot of that is is childhood trauma neglect and all these sad things but you know everyone kind of turns out to be these fascinating and fabulous adults but there there's a little bit of a um i think a barrier there to get to know someone and um in a way you know one little comment can pull them back and so i've always been fascinated by people like that instead of people who i don't really know a lot of people who speak their minds exactly what they're thinking and sometimes when they do like even if it's something as simple as like no i don't want to do that <laughs> it's almost shocking because a lot of people aren't like that a lot of people just kind of hem and haw i certainly do um and so so I, I, I think that that kind of nonverbal and that non-communication is really prevalent in a lot of, of relationships and, and dynamics. And if people just said what they wanted, things would be easier, but people don't. And, and people are messy. Human beings are messy. And sometimes when we don't share something, it's almost like, you know, that fear of rejection, that fear of like, oh, you're going to think I'm very strange. So, so I think it's just watching people and being an observer and seeing how people really don't share a lot 
or at least in 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 the groups I've seen and what I've observed, men, most people are not saying exactly what they think. I think that would be shocking. Mm-hmm. Do you know people who do that? No, no, I, I do not. <laughs> and and you know, it, it, it's I'm so glad you said that because on the one hand, we want that. You know, oh, just tell me what's mm-hmm. on your mind. Just tell me what you're thinking. But then if that person told us exactly what they're thinking, we oftentimes would be upset and or offended. Exactly. And hurt by that. Um, and, and I feel like that's happening with the characters in the hunt. I feel like that happened with your characters in real bad things that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they are close and, and they have gone through these experiences together, uh, both before and during uh, the story itself. But if they told exactly what they thought and how they felt about everything, those relationships would crack and fissure. And I think that is absolutely so true of so true of real life, you know. And that feels dangerous. And I think especially in a small town or and especially in these very close friendships, because if you lose that person, you you lose kind of everything in a way. And so there's a danger to being open and vulnerable. Very well said. Very well said. So in our closing minutes with you here uh, on the program today, Kelly, if anyone wants to uh, stay in contact with you, follow you on your socials, keep up with what you're up to and what's going on with you, how can they do that? And then secondly, where can they get copies of The Hunt? Uh, Currently, I'm most active on Instagram. I'm at Kelly J. Ford, Kelly J. Ford author. Um, the site formerly known as Twitter. I'm still there. I'll probably be there until they shut it completely down. Um, just because I've made so many friends there. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm clinging, waiting for it to uh, come back, you know. But um, yeah, I'm at Kelly J. Ford there. And, and that's primarily where I'm at. And um, you can buy my books from most bookstores. You can order it. Um so bookshop.org, amazon.com. My favorite local is the Harvard Bookstore. Um, they will definitely ship you a coffee and they're my favorite and they're local and I love them. The title of the book we've been talking about today is called The Hunt. It is the brand new thriller. It's an impressive thriller from Kelly Ford following on the heels of her two other great books uh, that you'll want to read if you haven't read them yet. Real Bad Things, which we had Uh, and talked about, had her on to talk about a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago here on the program, and her other great book, Cottonmouths, which was uh, noted by the Los Angeles Review as one of its best books of 2017. You want to pick those up, and more importantly, pick up a copy of The Hunt. This is a a fantastic thriller. Uh, It is really suspenseful. It's just subtly layered. It explores so many wonderful themes about longing and loss, uh, about life and about death and about uh, family and what it means to sort of reconstitute a family amongst disparate parts when you have been sort of cast away maybe from your biological family for um, <laughs> one reason or another and so much more. It's just a great book, Kelly. Congratulations to you on its publication. And uh, as you get that next thriller done, uh, we would love to have you on the program to talk about it. So thanks so much for the conversation. Oh, thank you. And I'll definitely come back anytime. Great. Fantastic. Love to have you for sure. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of the program to give a special shout out and a thank you to our executive producer, Pam Stack, who makes all of the podcasts on this program and all the podcasts that you hear on the network possible. We could not get those aired and distributed without her help. So thank you so much, Pam, for all of that you do and for all of that work behind the scenes. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. 
And that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.